0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Maroon Weekly. I'm Pravan. I'm Celeste. I'm Jake. I'm Greg. I'm Kentaro. It has been a very long time since I have been in the booth recording, but it is very enjoyable to be back and see some familiar and some new faces. Um, How is everyone doing on this fine Sunday morning? Good. (laughs) (laughs) I got
1: up, showered, ate half of a bagel, and came here, but I think Pravan and Celeste did a little more stuff this
0: morning. You guys were a bit more productive than me. I suppose so. We have been up for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, We both did the hot chocolate run downtown uh, this morning.
2: Yeah, I did the 5K. You ran a little longer.
0: I did the 10K. Uh, I am just getting back into running after kind of taking the summer off and uh, uh, most of the spring as well. So it's been a long time coming for me, and I was just very excited to to get back into it, and I did uh, much better than I expected. So very happy about that. What about you,
2: Celeste? It was beautiful weather, and it was a great uh, yeah, yeah. way to see the city. Um, and there was hot chocolate at the end, so...
0: Yeah, the hot chocolate part, I, I would highly recommend the hot chocolate. It's, it's very good. There's also the day before, and the Saturday and the Friday before, they have hot chocolate for free at um, Navy Pier, which is where you pick up, like, your race packet and stuff for the race. I didn't race. know that. Yeah, and they have all sorts of other, like, sweets and stuff there. But even if you don't want to run the race... First of all, there's a, there's a two-mile walk that you can do, and second of all, you can also go to this expo.
2: I am um, wondering how many batches of hot chocolate they make.
0: Oh, I, I have no
1: idea. I did the hot chocolate run last year. I ran the 10K. Um, I went with Pravon and some friends of ours. I got the hot chocolate afterwards, and it did not look appetizing. I'm pretty sure I gave it to a friend of mine, uh, but I'm glad <laughs> you guys enjoyed it. And with that, we should probably get to our first story
0: of the day. Yeah, we have a lot to cover. So. Yes, indeed. We'll start with Kentaro on some uh, USG elections.
3: Right. So the class of 2027 college council representatives were elected as the undergraduate student government reported lowest engagement in eight years. The turnout in terms of voters was quite low, with the top candidate winning 236 votes, which is something like roughly 15 percent of the first year population. And in terms of candidates, there was a a low number uh, in the last eight years with only nine candidates this year. In terms of going forward regarding this low engagement, Neville Hall, the chair of the USG's Elections and Rules Committee, has said that they're considering allowing uh, limited political parties and endorsements going forward, which could be interesting. Um, In terms of what USG does, they pass resolutions that call for policy changes. um, So they don't have a hand in enacting policy changes themselves. Here are some uh, of their initiatives, or they're calling for universal tap-in with UCIDs, improving Divi access, protecting the Lyft program, and 24-7 library access. Uh, And you can find this article, which was reported by Fei-Fei Mei, on the Maroon's website. So I'll just pose one question. Do you guys think student government is an institution worth caring about? I'd say I don't (laughs) know many people who
1: do. I don't know many people at this university who are invested in student government who are not themselves in student government on a theoretical basis. Sure. Like having students involved in the governance of the school, uh, in some capacity, seems like a good thing. But uh, I can think of only one achievement of the undergraduate student government here. I'm sure there are others, but me personally, as someone who, you know, is fairly plugged into the the news on campus, I, I can't think of many. Achievements.
4: I feel like we've talked about this before. First yeah. year, they organized shuttles to and from the airport. I don't know. If they good. still do that.
1: I they like when do they do that. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. There's two.
4: <laughs> What's <laughs> the other also, one? Wait, yeah.
1: Um, they have like allergen labels on the food at Pret now.
4: Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's useful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing you mentioned was 24-7 uh, library, leg, access. library access. Yeah. Um, didn't we have that for pre-pandemic? I think yeah, at some point that was the case, yep. yeah. I, not when I was... I f-
1: think I've heard that. Mm.
4: Carter would know. Would you guys take advantage of that? Yeah,
2: really. yeah.
1: I have been kicked out of the A level at like twelve fifteen um a few nights this quarter. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I've started avoiding the reg this year. Maybe not consciously, but just, I guess, I only go when, when as, as a... Because it's location-wise, it's the best place to 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 meet people to to do work, but often I just end up working elsewhere on campus. That's a better vibe. But that said, more power to those who end up staying in the reg. I know Jake spends many long hours in the A-level, as you've described, but...
2: I think if the option is presented, it'll just make it harder to leave.
0: That's fair.
4: Didn't someone post something in the Marin Slack channel about how among Lyft users or universities, like, do you know what yeah, I think about? Lyft
1: did some report like comparing universities yeah. and they said we were the most studious because we take so many more lifts to the library than other places. I just don't know how many universities have like a you know a Lyft agreement where we get all these free lifts. Um, yeah, that would right. obviously skew these yeah. numbers. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the more surprising thing in that is that it said that um, we lift most often to target, not even the reg. I would have assumed it was the reg. That would be the most common destination. But
0: I guess Target is more popular. So maybe we're not even
1: that studious. People just need to get toilet paper,
0: whatever. Um, Yeah. Next, we will go to Jake, who has uh, an interesting summary on the fiscal responsibility at the university. Or irresponsibility. So I have a report
1: that, um, as of the time of recording, the Maroon has actually not yet published on. But I do think that that it's sufficiently newsworthy to bring up now. Um, Clifford Andow, David B. and Clara E. Stern, Distinguished Service Professor of Classics and History, wrote an essay excoriating the university's lack of fiscal responsibility over the last 20 years. In this essay, which itself has not yet been published but has been making the rounds in faculty and grad student circles privately, he researches the university's finances and finds that, according to public tax records, we have a debt-to-asset ratio of 68%. That's almost $6 billion in debt that the university has to service every year. For reference, among our peer institutions in the Ivy League, no other university has a debt-to-assets ratio greater than 30%. And um, he ascribes this, you know, massive increase in debt to a lot of spending that the university has undertaken that um, it just didn't really have the money to, you know, pay for. And so over the last two years, the university has had to pay out almost $400 million just to service that debt. Professor Ando's essay is well done and touches on a number of areas in which the university is failing in his eyes. He focuses on the woeful lack of funding to the Humanities and Social Sciences Division, and the shift away from more well-paid tenure stream instructors to adjunct faculty. He believes that our irresponsible spending habits have led to a situation where the university is forced to make decisions that have negative impacts on its long-term health. One such instance is the story of Woodlawn Residential Commons, which he references in the piece, although not by name. I heard at some point in the last couple years that Woodlawn actually isn't really owned by the university. That seemed really strange to me, because residence halls should be a great way for the university to make money. And so why wouldn't they, you know, own a new building? Why would someone else have constructed it, and why would someone else manage it for them? Well, I learned through Cliff Nando that the university was suffering a liquidity crisis. They needed a way to deal with all of their debt, and so they sold off the rights to build and manage Woodlawn to a third party for a large lump sum. I could be wrong about some of these details, because the university hasn't advertised this contractual setup, but I don't think that the university even makes the revenue from woodlawn. That's a long-term source of income that the university has just foregone in order to deal with a problem of their own creation. In this essay, Endo directly compares this to the city of Chicago's decision back in 2008 to sell off control of parking meters for a billion dollars to cover their own budget deficit. In the last 15 years, the investors who paid a billion dollars for the revenue from parking meters have made back their investment and $500 million more They still have control over those parking meters and all of the income that comes from them for another 60 years. Universities should not be forced to make these sorts of short-sighted decisions to stay financially solvent. But unfortunately, it's unclear where UChicago could even go from here. On Friday, I went to a discussion that Professor Ando and history professor Jonathan Levy led. This discussion was the first in a series titled The Corporate University that is being organized by the Chicago Center for Contemporary Theory. Clifford Ando warned there that the next five years may look very different for the university as they have to refinance their loans at higher interest rates. I can't know if that will be true, but members of the UChicago community should know about the financial realities of our own university. Keep an eye out for further Maroon coverage on this issue and for Professor Ando's essay, which should be forthcoming in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Wow, that's...
0: that. I mean, that... Kind of comes like out of the blue for me. I mean, I've heard, I've heard all a, a lot of this um, business with Woodlawn and how um, they don't actually own the building. But I didn't realize how detrimental that was. And I've heard of the parking meter story um, being like a terrible like, mistake for Ch- Chicago to make. Um, but that comparison is so interesting to me.
1: So I'd be interested in hearing more from you. Uh, you're an RA, Proven. Yes. Have you heard about this through RA circles? Is
0: that something? No, a I awesome? don't. I mean, it's just like you, I guess. I've, it's just been thrown around sure. students that yeah. Woodlawn is owned. Uh, not owned, excuse me. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not an RA for Woodlawn. So yeah. I suppose that, that, that part of housing is not really something that I'm uh, plugged into. I do know, and I'm, I think this, like a lot of people know this as well, that they're planning on building another dorm, um, west of uh, Renee Grandville Grossman, uh, like closer to Jules. I have not time. heard that. Wait, That's really interesting. I had no yes. idea. Yes, uh, it it should be, um, I think probably west of Logan as well. Like um, maybe in like the part this parking lot area kind of. Um, they haven't broken ground or anything yet, so it'll it'll be up long after I don't. I think any of us will. Uh, still be at this university at least yeah, how can they even plan on doing that if they have all this debt, like that's gotta
1: be expensive I hope they don't do the same woodlawn sitch, um, I don't know why the, the yeah. need for a dorm would be so urgent but it, you know, with the woodlawn thing, I wonder Like um, people talk about a woodlawn I'm sure this isn't a universal opinion but many people believe that woodlawn is sort of less well done than a lot of the dorms That Certainly internally not a
4: universal opinion
1: not anything? a universal opinion, but you know, there's sound leakage and the rooms are small <laughs> oh, come and, on, man. it's
4: not that bad <laughs> oh, here have have on you now, seen right?
2: the ceilings and are well, gaps? Everyone
4: in the talks walls. about the ceilings. That's part of the aesthetic. Okay, <laughs> it's modern. Okay,
1: my, my point. They're uh,
4: uneven.
1: My point is that <laughs> is that the incentives if you're a third party company, sort of building this uh, building this dorm for your own revenue purposes. Um, the incentives are going to be a little different compared to if it's sort of the university doing its own thing. The university is going to prioritize to to a greater extent, like, you know, the student experience. They're going to want people to be happy in this dorm. I think South is a pretty great dorm mm-hmm. built by the university, not, you know, maybe a decade before Woodlawn, less than a decade before. Um, but Woodlawn maybe has some shortcomings, and that could be, you know, related to all this debt and this decision that the university made. Um, I don't know, as I said, I don't, I, don't, I just don't know what how this will play out long term, but... Um, I think, I think this is a, a difficult thing that the university is really going to have to deal with. Um, it's not just going to disappear. That's a lot they a lot of
0: money. Um, yeah. It is interesting to think, to contrast South and Woodlawn because South was built in, it was finished in 2009. Okay, 2009. But um, it was built during the Great Recession and it was originally supposed to be 12 stories high. They decided mm-hmm. to cap it at eight because that was the most... economically viable option at the time and woodlawn was built finished during the pandemic and i'm wondering if like these two different economic crises and the university's response to them is it would be like worth comparing because i wonder how much of this fiscal irresponsibility as we're calling it is a result of the pandemic and the like various economic results that have come from it yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know that. And something that came
1: up in the discussion is that the university is very secretive about um, mm. their endowment, about, you know, the way that they sold off the, uh, the rights to Woodlawn. They're secretive about their financial dealings. Um, and Ando talked about how he's looked into some properties that he knows the university owns. Uh, and if you go through the public tax records, you can see that it's owned by some company, some lim- some LLC, limited liability company. Oh, what, what's the company? And then if you look into that, it's run by some person. And then if you Google them, they're just an employee of the university. So all these uh, financial dealings are routed through third-party LLCs that have connections to the university. So they're clearly university stuff, but they're hiding their tracks. Um, they're, they don't want us to know <laughs> this information. I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but they're obfuscate, they're they're <laughs> which I think is common practice. I'm from Boston, and Harvard does a lot of the same sorts of stuff to, to cover when they're building something new in a place where people are maybe scared of gentrification. Um, my roommates and I have wondered, like, um, does the university own our building? Like, some people say that Mac, um, which is the major corporate landlord around here, Maybe it isn't like a you know property owning firm. Maybe it's a property management firm. Oh, and wow. Does the university just own all of these buildings? I, I, I don't know. I don't I know. Heard rumors <laughs>
0: that the university owns Mac.
1: Proven. Heard rumors <laughs> that the university owns Mac. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get that in the paper. <laughs> but yeah, um, and I I, I I want the the maroon to do some real investigative journalism, some real financial forensics. Um, if I had those skills, I'd do it. But uh, maybe I'll work on developing them. Um, But these these are things that that the university community should know about, um, and I'm glad we're talking about them here. Thank you for that, guys.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess, to me, I think, Prabhupada, as you said, it it comes out of the blue, especially considering how many, with hosts like thousands of students, so does North. It is the biggest dorm. Right. And so, I I don't understand, like, just intuitively thinking, right? Like, one student pays, what's somewhat like $60,000 a year to be here, and... I mean, you would think that the university's financial position would be improving given that they've opened all these new dorms, that they've increased capacity. But, um, But yeah, I mean, some large portion of it would long.
1: They're just not getting that revenue. Mm
3: -hmm. I wanted to note something you said. You'd said um, that the speaker had said that this uh, financial, um, these issues have been happening for over 20 years. Yeah. Um, That's true. He he ascribes a lot of it to
1: strategies that were implemented under Bob Zimmer, who was the previous president of the university. He was there for a long time. Um, they talked about how, at the end of the day, he might sort of be a villain in the story of the university, which was, I don't know, kind of strange to hear. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm happy to send you the essay.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering how these effects will sort of trickle down into yeah. our lives. Yeah. Um and this actually is kind of a segue into, into the next story, which I'm sure. going to report on, which is uh, the scaling back of the Lift Ride Smart Program. Um, so as most of you know, it, uh, the Lift Ride Smart Program is scaled back this year from 10 free rides a month, well, not free, but under $15 to seven rides under $10. Um, in a webinar on October 24th, Associate Vice President for Safety and Security, Eric Heath, indicated that there may be further cuts to the school's Lyft service. Though Dean of Students Michelle Rasmussen indicated that the program has always been meant to, quote, complement the available late-night transportation options like the UGO shuttles and the CTA buses, uh, the program was expanded from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights to seven days a week in the wake of the murder of grad student Dennis Sang in November 2021. Heath's rationale for scaling back the service seems mostly to be based on environmental and economic concerns regarding the increased number of vehicles around Hyde Park, even though there haven't really been widespread calls to adjust the lift program from an emissions standpoint. The webinar was held in large part due to the spate of armed robberies that have occurred mostly north and east of campus in recent weeks. Heath commented on the difficulty of apprehending the perpetrators due to the atypical nature of the robberies, the large cover- coverage radius of the UCPD, and the lack of cameras in certain parts of their patrol region. He noted that in many areas north and south of campus, boundary, north and south of the campus boundaries, Uh, primary primary patrolling is done by the Chicago Police Department and he described plans to increase UCPD patrol in those areas. Uh, President Paul Levisatos also discussed staffing updates that could help the UCPD sort of uh, do all this a little better. And lastly regarding the security alerts that uh, are emailed to the community, Heath noted that the Clery Act has certain restrictions on what the university can and cannot report. Basically uh, There's a dichotomy between on-campus and off-campus. There was a report recently on uh, a robbery on 58th Street and like Woodlawn Avenue, just past Woodlawn, I believe, um, that was reported and is considered on-campus according to the UCPD. Uh, But he did say that there are improvements that can be made to making these security alerts uh, more timely. Uh, the article by Arjun Mazumdar is available on the Murray website. Wait a minute. So the university
4: won't divest from fossil fuels, but when it but suddenly when it comes to lift, they're concerned about environmental impact. <laughs> I, I don't.
1: Understand. I, I did hear that more as like an aesthetic thing, where we have all these vehicles around, and it's strange. Um, I, I don't know how you.
0: Read yeah, that in I mean, uh, in the article, it, it does seem to be very environmentally bent. Uh, oh yeah. Because uh, they the. EJTF, which we'll talk about later, did comment about how the university is citing environmental concerns here, <laughs> but not taking an ac- action on initiatives that students have advocated for years. It's direct quote, um, and there's a whole uh, there's a whole paragraph here about the uh, the university's unwillingness to divest and invest in proven and effective partnerships like the CTA bus program that benefit the community, the environment, and students. Um, if the university actually cared about the broader community, it would, one, stop over-policing the community, which carries its own environmental costs. Two, stop making financial decisions like investments and in land purchases with no transparency. Goes right back to our previous point. Yep, it
1: all, it's a flat <laughs> circle.
0: <laughs> and Three, stop displacing black residents on the south side. Uh, I'm curious as to that first point of over-policing and the environmental costs associated, but um, I'm wondering if, if that connection is... Uh, as present, because I don't know anything about that relationship, but it does seem like a very strange look to, to talk about environment in this one situation. I feel like he is uh, going, I, I think the, the reason might just be that they don't have enough money. Yeah. That, that's yeah, probably. That, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I believe that the thing that sparked this whole Clifford Ando report um, was that the university sent a memo to professors at some point, maybe in the spring or the summer, um, telling them to eat less free food. I think that's what it was. This was referenced obliquely at the discussion. They didn't, like, get into it. But I think it was something along those lines. The professors got mad. Like, like really? You think we're <laughs> running out of money because we eat too much free food? <laughs> and so that, like, you know, people get frustrated when there's all this austerity in this, like, one little area. Like, like really? They're going to cut back on the lifts? Like, pe- people use those. Those do yeah. keep people safe, I, I think, you know. Um, if I had to walk back to my apartment on Fifty First every time, and I couldn't have the option of taking lifts seven times a month for free, like I'd have a higher chance of getting mugged. That's just what it is. Um, I don't know that austerity. I, I have trouble taking them at face value when they when they talk about the environmental concerns, or even about how yeah they only report on campus um, thing like you know on campus um, muggings or whatever. Um,
0: there's a direct quote from Heath here that says, We're considering exploring alternatives to a Lyft program that provides point-to-point service, maybe even more so than what Lyft currently provides, but in a manner that is both environmentally and economically sustainable.
4: Mm.
0: Uh, because what has shifted with our Lyft program is the influx of vehicles that has created a lot of challenges and concerns for our greater community. They're going to do the Hyperloop. <laughs> they heard it here first. Right. <laughs> I, think, I mean, like,
3: rickshaws are environmentally <laughs> cool, <they're primarily> friendly. Primarily-
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> rickshaws would be great. <laughs> Free bikes.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: free free Divvies. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: um, I think, actually, f- f- like the Divi university membership, it just increased its price. I I had the membership last year, but I decided not to get it this year because it increased from eighty three to one hundred and five dollars. I actually think that was. Um, that's, I don't,
1: that, I don't think that was correct. It says like online that it was 105. When I went through all the steps to get it, I think it was like 83. It was the same. Really? Yeah. So if you, okay. you want to get it at the Maybe lower I'll price point. Maybe I'll get it again. Um, if, if at checkout, it says 105 to disregard what I said. But that that was the case for me.
0: Okay. Um, then I'll, I will definitely look into that. But I think it might end, I, it might not really end up being that different from the Lyft program. But I feel like the the university could subsidize that Divi cost a little yeah. further. Yeah. And that, It'd be a lot
1: cheaper for them than, than uh, you know, 70 bucks a month on Lyft.
0: Yeah. It addresses their environmental concerns as well, with more bikes going around. And they've also installed a couple new Divi stations around campus. They have they've one. installed a bunch of them, really good. They have one in really front good. of I-House. They have one in front of Harper now and across the street from Booth. Yeah, props to, are, the, props to Lyft for that. Those are not there last year. That's also true. Like, Divi is owned by Lyft, so... It's um, all flat it's, circle. It's going, <laughs> same, it's going to the same company. <laughs> so... Yeah, well, uh, I am also grateful for my lifts. I hope I hope they continue, um, but yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, for our next story, we will go to Celeste on the mm-hmm. protests.
2: Uh, more about university administration. Um, in response to the daily protesting on the quad by students for justice in Palestine and vigils hosted by Jewish organizations and fraternities these past few weeks. UChicago administration sent out emails outlining the university's policies regarding protests and demonstrations. We've been covering this for the past few weeks, but I think it's worth it to discuss their response. University President Paul Alavisado's email addressed to the university community was focused on UChicago's commitment to free speech while also emphasizing that regulations put in place by the university must be followed. Protests and demonstrations are protected as essential venues for truth-seeking, the email read, provided you are complying with university policies on protest and demonstration, you may join in Congress with others in protest and express your views. As a reminder, underscoring the repercussions if regulations are not followed, he continued, in any venue, no member of our community may shout down or seek to prevent the protected expression of those with whom they disagree. You may not tear down a poster. You may not seek to intimidate or threaten another person or prevent them from hearing an invited speaker. These are egregious offenses against our community. We have policies and processes for guiding community norms, reporting instances that require investigation and disciplinary action when needed. Shortly after, Dean of Students Michelle Rasmussen sent out an email addressed to students and attempted to address the the tension and confrontations that broke out between groups protesting on the quad, referencing the posting policy section of the student manual. Her email stated that the university does allow the posting of flyers, posters, and banners without any content restrictions unless the content, quote-unquote, violates the law, falsely defames a specific individual, constitutes a genuine threat or harassment, Unjustifiably invades substantial privacy or confidentiality interests or is otherwise directly incompatible with the functioning of the university. The student manual details the policy on free speech practice on campus as well as the punishments if violated. And the story was first reported on um, by Austin Ziegler in the Chicago Maroon. I mean, it's more of the same, I think. Um, I'm not sure how helpful emails are in addressing what actually happens on the quad or changing any of that behavior um, or promoting you know more fruitful discussions between groups so
4: i feel like the quad was a lot calmer last week yeah Mm -hmm. true yeah yeah
0: Yeah. i i suppose i wonder like really how how many people actually read these emails um i mean i i definitely do read them but i can see the i can see the argument that you know as soon as you see the byline and, uh, and the subject line it unless it's something like eye-catching like paintball <laughs> i can see someone just like their eyes glazing over and you know like, oh this is just university administration jargon and um there's really not much point in paying attention uh,
2: I, mean, I think it's a bit of just university politics like they have That's to awesome. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. put out some kind of response
1: to me it was sort of interesting that they chose to address this at all but the email itself it, you would have had to look really deep and to try to see the subtext there to get any real meaning it was all kind of milquetoast um,
0: yeah. yeah I'm sure much of what has been said on the protests has already been said here yeah um uh, Unless there are any further additions, we can go to Greg for our last story of the day on the EJTF.
4: Yeah, so more university administration news. So UChicago Board of Trustees has been accused of violating the Illinois law with fossil fuel investments. On October 30th, the UChicago Environmental Justice Task Force, or EJTF, filed a divestment complaint against the Chicago Board of Trustees for their investment in fossil fuel enterprises. The complaint filed with Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul alleges that the board violated Illinois law by ignoring its, quote, fiduciary, fiduciary duty to invest with consideration for the university's charitable purposes. More than 50 faculty members and 51 organizations have signed the complaint in support. The complaints assert that the Attorney General is responsible for ensuring the chari- that charitable assets are allocated appropriately, and for investigating charitable managers violations of fiduciary duties and as response or as a result EJTF requested that the attorney general investigate the grievances outlined in its complaint and take legal action against the board if they are found in violation of Illinois law now EJTF is a member of the solidarity 6 which is a group comp- composed of peer organizations at Pennsylvania State University Pomona College Tufts University UPenn and Washington University and St. Louis. The group's legal complaints mirror those filed by the Fossil Free Five, which cited the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act. That's a mouthful. Every state in the US has enacted some, some iteration of this policy except Pennsylvania, which has a similar regulation. And so um, I guess the other important thing is that the board has a history of rebuffing or ignoring claims made by campus environmental activist groups. Um, and this, you know, goes back to 2010 when University of Chicago Action Network, um, I guess, filed a similar complaint or engaged in similar campaigning. Um, and so, for the full details, see the story up on the Maroon's website by Arjun Mazumdar.
1: Yeah, I have, I have trouble seeing this legal complaint really get in anywhere. Um, good for them for trying, but I, I don't think it's really legal precedent that you know just investing in fossil fuels is an inherently poor investment. Um, yeah. Hopefully the university has to go through some red tape and best case scenario, we actually learn something about where the endowment is, mm-hmm. what, what they're invested in, whether they own all of Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that information
0: coming out of this. <laughs> But you never know <laughs> it would at least be beneficial for all that hidden stuff to be transparent I'm, I'm seeing maybe it's just people um, that I see a lot but I've seen a lot of support for this yeah uh, just around the university um, and we've covered divestment before and um, it's uh, it's just interesting to see it sort of evolve um, from when I last read a divestment related story from the room which was definitely like last spring at this point, if not last winter.
4: Does anyone know anything about the Board of Trustees? <laughs>
1: um, well, at the discussion I went to on Friday, they talked about how the composition of the Board of Trustees has changed. Um, I think they looked at like 2002 and 2012. So that same window which they were starting to build a bunch of dorms, take on a bunch of debt. Um, the composition of the board changed and it, it's a lot of MBAs. It's a lot of booth. It's a lot of booth people. Um, I think there were only like eight maybe on the board who, maybe this was a Today Saturday or a 2012. Um, one of those times there was like eight people out of like 55 on the board who had been undergrads here and had not also gone to Booth. It's a lot of Booth people, um, some number of JDs. And we also have a much larger board than other universities tend to. Um, yeah, it's a lot of people, a lot of Booth. Someone asked a question at the, at the discussion. Um, if we have so many Booth MBAs on the Board of Trustees, why are they making poor financial decisions? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is ironic you know, that,
4: you know, we're known for our economics programs. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that question wasn't really answered. We didn't really give it
1: the time of day. People just sort of laughed.
2: <laughs> but do we have information yeah. on what kind of standard the university is held to in terms of investing? Like-
1: no, they don't publish anything. About their endowment, um, we get some like little bits of information through tax records, tax and
2: records.
1: yeah, but um, but yeah, there's not no clear. Um,
2: Maybe no that's summary. something that the you know the student government can do.
1: They can is call try it to for ask it.
2: for transparency. <laughs> yeah, from... I think that would be great. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Even how if they're that. shattered into the wind, that'd yeah. be great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, yeah, that's. That's all the stories we have for today. It's a lot of news and a lot of uh, focus on the administration. Um, But yeah, we hope you enjoyed listening. I'm Pravan. I'm Kentaro. I'm Greg. I'm Jake.
2: I'm Celeste.
0: And we hope to see you next week.